Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. You know, it's Monday. Our, our show is always comes out on Monday, Tyler. And uh, and I like that about, about the American Shoreline Podcast. I like to kick off the week, you know, put a show out. And uh, But this conversation today feels more a little bit like a Friday. More in your neck of the woods with the Friday happy hour kind of discussion. Well, that's because it's Monday for all you, uh, all y'all out there. Uh, but it's Sunday afternoon here in Austin, Texas. Peter and I are uh, convening and discussing what's going on in the American shoreline to put together a show for you guys. And we decided that there's just so much going on in the world that we were going to take a moment to kick some things around. Uh, we'll try to make it as coastal as we can. Uh, a lot of this stuff is is bigger, I think, than strictly a coastal conversation. Right. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, how we're planning on uh, covering things and some things we're excited about. Also, some shows on ASPN to check out that we've that have come out on the network recently. We're going to kind of go through all of that, kick some things around. But before we do it, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast. The folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numeric modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new coastal resiliency department headed up by our very own Peter Ravella. Check them out at lja.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical first-hand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, along with their skilled and respectful crews, make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at CoastalTransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at the thedunesciencegroup.com. So, Tyler, it is Sunday when we're recording this in Austin. I think I just want to kick this off with what happened. 524 p.m., ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, in the afternoon. Uh, what happened today in Austin, Texas? Uh, we ended up both at the same uh March today at Houston Tillotson College, the uh, historically black, black college here in Austin, Texas, where there was a major rally today. And uh, there were a lot of people there. There were. This is a uh, this was a march uh, put together by the Austin uh, Justice Coalition, which is a group who's that has been in existence here in Austin for a long time. And has been working for a very long time to uh, create a more equitable society, specifically with regard to prejudice in our policing here. And uh, 
given all that's going on with the George Floyd killing in America, Austin has been swept up of that. And um, so Peter and I were both there today. And I got to say, Pete, the energy was so uplifting and it was so positive. And really f- it, what was so cool is being able to really see this optimistic vision of America before us. And um, that's something that I certainly uh, came away with. What were your what was your experience? Well, like? I think I think the mood and the tone um, and one of the reasons I wanted to go was to <clears throat> experience firsthand what these crowds are doing and the, in, in the folks marching around the country. And, uh, you know, we've had to park about 10 blocks away. There were people already parking well outside of Til- Houston Tillots and campus parking. Uh, so there was a long walk to the march from the parking space. And, and there were, you know, people adding to the sidewalk kind of every block you passed. And, it, and everybody walked in perfect silence. There was nobody talking. And it was pretty striking for the whole 10 blocks. Um, and that, that, that told me that there was some shared thinking and some seriousness in what they were doing. I've never experienced anything like it, um, both in terms of the vibe, which I referenced earlier, uh, which, Peter, you're right. There's obviously this is not a happy, a purely happy occasion. Um, we're here to mourn. Uh, Austin has not been immune at all to uh, police brutality on black people. In fact, we've got a problem in the city that is that my understanding has been getting worse and not better. Um, and so there's definitely this like weight, this exasperation feel among all of the people there who I will point out weren't, you know, this was a incredibly diverse group of people, a lot of white people there. In fact, I would say majority white group. Um, and I'll tell you, you know, this is just my personal thing. But uh, if we we need to be better on this as as a society in America. And that's a community level uh, commitment that the thousands of people that were at this thing today. Uh, shared in common and it was really powerful to hear all of those thousands of people say George Floyd's name and uh, commit themselves to making a change in our society here for the better yeah and uh, well I mean when we were talking about trying to do this show and trying to think about coastal topics we should talk about you know I think we gave it 20 minutes and just couldn't come up with anything compelling. I mean, it's a little hard, uh, I think for everybody out there to think about, you know, how things are going on coastal issues in America when we're coming through a pandemic that was a major, major event for the country and sequentially right into, uh, now two weeks of, of public protests. Um, so it's, it's an extraordinary time. And I was thinking, well, you know, the risk of talking about this is that people say, well, you know, it's political. And so there's people who are going to be for what you're saying and people who are against. And here's what I want to say about that. Uh, This is not political. 
the fact that there are political viewpoints on the subject is very true, but that doesn't make this politics. The issue on the table is the equal protection of the law and who we are as a country. That's the issue, and that's not political. That is a founding principle of the country. And so I think whether you agree with what the protesters are doing or what the administration are doing is a reflection of your political understanding of that question, but it does not make this question political. And so. And I, I will say that ASPN is a designated safe space for coastal and ocean per perspectives. Uh, we have had on in the past had the occasion to talk about race on the shoreline um, and we have done it. Uh, we did an MLK uh, day show where we talked about some black beaches um, but Peter's I think correct and look the cool thing about podcasts and what we do is that we try to be transparent and um, honest with you guys because um, that's the core foundation of our relationship with with our listeners is just an honest the ability to speak our minds honestly if we couldn't do that then yeah. what the hell would we do, we'd be doing yeah. um, so it's just hard to make this a strictly coastal show yeah um, I mean I can we can safely say that many of the protests are in coastal cities and we could name them off but I think it is an unnecessary uh, segue. Um, you know, let me tell you what's standing out to me on this thing. Um, it seems to break down into a couple different major themes. You know, I'm a law and order person. I think these protests, this is terrible. These, this is lawlessness. And the whole law and order uh, critique of what happens in street protests and the other side has to do is really focused, of course, on the behavior of the officer, in particular, the death of this man, George Floyd, and the system, systemic nature of that problem. So those are the two sides, kind of roughly. And here's what I want to say. I, I'm a law and order guy, but I do not believe that the sentiment for law and order begins when the march begins. Let me tell you when the law and order starts. It's with the police officers themselves who, who stand as a representation of law and order in our society. And when these guys are criminal and kill someone, murder the man, if that has to be held to account. And so there is a relationship between law and order in both sides of this discussion and my appeal is for the people who look at this as a law and order issue is spend some time on asking yourself about the about law and order within our uh, police forces in America that is where it needs to begin and you can't gloss over it and say it's a bad apple and move on to somebody breaking a window and say that's the problem in America today you know, you can't do that. It really, I mean, there's so much sentiment out there that the I, the notion of reforming policing after this, 
after from this moment forward is I think something that needs to be considered fully. Um, I know that a, a lot of our audience are civil ser- servants and they work for a, a government at the county level, at a, at a municipal level, at the state level, at the federal level. All of those uh, people are familiar with the uh, the relationship that you have with your constituents. And you can spend years and years and years and years building a program and reforming. And I have to say, a lot of work has gone in to police reform over the years. Since, yeah. since Ferguson, uh, there has been a tremendous amount of local organizing and through the top 100 biggest cities in America, there has been data collected and this is all done at the nonprofit level and um, policies recommended. So, so on and so forth. But you know, a department like that can lose the, uh, I, I think that the department is already, I think that for me as a white guy, I'm realizing that, I don't know if I was a black guy if I could ever trust a police department. No. And and for that reason and for that reason I don't know if in a I don't know if we can proceed with just reformation. I say that just honestly. I I feel like mm. and this is a government question. Well, I think we have to rethink what public safety means and where where and how we place the authority it's that to visioning. exercise it's this visioning exercise peter that we've we've talked about <clears throat> before in in the context of other things but it's really true here like what do we want this to be what do we want what do we expect out of right. these services and you yeah, know it's a bigger question then whether or not the procedure allows for the use of a chokehold or not, it's that is the bigger question you're asking. What is, and that's what kind of what I think. And I is, think when people say defund the police, or or abolish the police, it's a. I know that like there, that's a controversial statement. Yes, obviously. and it's in, completely impractical. But um, but 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 let's interpret it a little bit more carefully. What it really is saying is. Let's build something new. Yeah, I, I, that I can get to that. I mean, and, and I do think that's sort of what they're saying is we're going to tear this particular structure down and and reconceive uh, public safety. And look, I'm, I'm kind of being, uh, you know, people might think a little one sided when it comes to the police because, you know, because and I want to say this for full disclosure. I was a police union lawyer for three years and I negotiated police labor contracts. Uh, with a lot of police departments in the Pacific Northwest, uh, mostly small towns. And I defended police officers who were involved in use of force cases. So I, I'm familiar with it, and I'm not anti-police. I, and, and I'll tell you one of the things I learned from being around police officers. When something like this happens, and uh, the killing of George Floyd, there are a pretty chunky percentage of police officers who cringe that their job just got impossibly harder and they don't support this stuff and it's 
And so I, I'm sort of joining in the anger of those guys, the professional officers who understand their role in society. I'm supporting them. I am not supporting the guy, in, even though I would defend him in the union we had the responsibility to. It was not uncommon for a union president to say, if this guy gets out of here, we're good. You know, we know you're going to defend him, but we're not, we're not looking to have him back because he's detrimental to our force and he's not a professional. So I'm standing with those guys is who I'm standing with. And I think that uh, great point. And I would I would agree. I mean, I just I hope I hope we're not freaking people out too much, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know if it's freaky or not. I mean, it's I would imagine that. And I mean, obviously, it's people can question whether this is a conversation that we should be having on the American Trollheim podcast. That's a fair question. But the fact that we are having this conversation and probably talking it through similarly is happening in every home in America today. I think this is everybody's discussion, and I think we're all sort of approaching it and spending however much time we can. But this is a discussion about who we are as a society and who we are as a country. So I think everybody's weighing in. However you see that, you're weighing in. Yeah. Well, we're certainly doing that, and I don't. I don't. I can't imagine not doing it. I'm just. Yeah. I just am. Uh, for for a second there, I was just imagining myself listening to my like, oh, <laughs> clicking out of the coastal <laughs> podcast. Well, All right. So let. I mean, let's talk about. Okay. Let's talk about. You know, one of the reasons we're, we're doing this show without a guest is we've been doing a lot of shows. Tyler's been recording a bunch and producing, produces all the shows on the network. And it's a lot. And during this COVID period, we've sort of amped up who we're talking to. And so we've been working really hard. And I think this show re- kind of reflects that we're just kind of taking a breather. And uh, definitely, you know, uh, oh, I got I get an amen to that. Peter. Yeah, I mean, it's just Woo. a little bit of a break. Um you know, I got to tell you, I was inspired by uh, uh, by the land commissioner, Jerry Patterson, and Bob Purchaseppi and Sheldon Whitehouse in that show that we did for Memorial Day. Yeah. And, and hearing those guys talk about America from the left and the right, you know, Jerry Patterson is pretty main, you know, deep conservative. He is a very conservative political leader. And Sheldon Whitehouse is at the other end of that spectrum, and they both talked about the problem with, um, you know, the breakdown in American political dialogue and the polarization. They were both concerned about that. Yeah, they were. Uh, that was a great show, uh, and that was a, a treat to bring those perspectives together and to do those interviews. Uh, I was thinking, you know, in that process, one of the things that Sheldon kind of planted in my mind is this vision quest seed that yeah. I've now just been so dead. Yeah, set you on. have been. You have. You have I'm been on that. Deep on it. That's what he talked about. He's like, you got to have a vision for. Well, he said. He said that in yeah. this in these times of, um, you know, I he didn't. I don't believe he used the word collapse, but you know, you we are um, empowered as Americans. Yeah. To reconstruct, yeah. and that means thinking about... It's like the Etch-A-Sketch, man. You're shaking it. Yeah. You're getting a clear screen. You shake it up a little bit. You get some. You can still see the tracings of what you just did, 
but you know you can start and over and there's 350 million hands on the little wheels right <laughs> That's right. That's pretty crazy. It is. It's a very difficult process. I mean, the American experiment. I mean, I got to tell you, I'm I'm, the vitality in the country is encouraging to me. And the political uh, the, the level of the political discussion and the social discussion that I've seen arising partly out of COVID-19 isolation of TV hosts and personalities Everybody's thinking a little bit deeper, I think, and the and the quality of the discussion across the political spectrum has been richer, I think, and people are less busy. You know, they've got time to really think about this stuff. Yeah. So I think that's that I, I see a lot of vitality in the American democracy right now. I think, yeah, I definitely think so. Um, I think... It's I, I feel it more. I, it's hard to say um, based on based on our kind of siloed media lives these days. Right. Because, you know, it's not like everybody is watching the nightly news with what was that guy's name? Walter Cronkite. Cronkite. <clears throat> it's not like everybody's yeah. watching Cronkite. No, so that's definitely not what's happening. It now. is harder to gauge. Now, I try to. And we, but we, we through the process of just following all the coastal news, we just get we're constantly reading, yeah, the news media and right. local coastal right. stuff and different political viewpoints along the shoreline. Of, yeah, you know? absolutely. The lobster fishermen look at coastal management in a very different way. Than God, did you see that thing? People? That that thing up in Maine with Trump went up there. Yeah, we should talk about that. Well, we can. He he last week. Uh, flew up to Maine and uh, he opened a National Marine sanctuary area to commercial fishing. Now, the backstory is here um, that the area has historically been a fishing area and Obama created this National Monument uh, sanctuary and and eliminated commercial fishing in 40 percent of the new uh, monument, the, the Marine Monument. And Trump reversed that last week. He went up and said, and, and it ha- had a lot to do with lobster fishermen and the number of traps and that because there's a, there's a lot of diversity in these canyons. I think it's called, it's something canyons. God, I should look it up. Uh, area. And, and it's a, it's a thoroughfare for right whales. So they're like, we don't want any lines in here. That's what he reversed. And the fishermen were of course, very happy about that. Um, you know, the NRDC has said it's illegal, so there's going to be a lawsuit. I'm, I'm not convinced it is illegal for him to do that. Um, whether you agree or not is different. But, um, you know, um, that's what he did. It, you know, he, what, he sort of slipped this, up to Maine. Let me ask this, a question. Let me yeah. ask a question. Why do you think he did that? Well, I mean, look, first of all, there's a, there's a heavy constituency lobbying for, for that. Um, the, when Obama put that in place, it was not uh, like there were not everybody was singing the praises of that idea. And the reason why the protected no fishing area for commercials ended up at 40 percent is because there was already significant pushback from the commercial fishing community saying, man, you can't take all this fishing area that we use away. So it got to 40 percent. So what, why did Trump do it? I mean, just straight up policy. There's a powerful constituency 
that his coming back to the table and wanting to write what they see as a wrong. So he's being responsive to that. It's also politically good stuff to do things for well, yeah, guys I mean, who, you know, fish and drill for oil. Especially and after all those are good guys you want. Especially in the context of the COVID economic depression that hit fishermen. Yeah. So what I think is an interesting That's play true. here. They're under a lot of stress right now. The play is that you use the justification of, hey, I'm creating jobs. Right. I'm to say, well, come on, these are desperate times. We need right. to open these areas up to fishing. Right. And you know No, you're right. So but but that that kind of strategic thinking politically you know, like this is something we're going to do. We like the reasons for doing it. We're happy to do it. But when to do it and how to do it, that maximizes the advantage we could get. That's kind of politics 101. It's like drop bad news on Friday, always announce good news on Monday, do this before noon. I mean, you manage your your presence and, you know, yeah, I think. I think right now when the country's in a lot of distress, having anything else in the news about what you're doing is helpful. I, I don't like it. I'd love to talk to uh, some people <laughs> up in Maine up there about it uh, who know more about well, what's going on. I okay. would. Yeah. I don't know what the story is. Um, I, I don't we think. We should follow up. We, we should. Could, we can bring we could something. Do, we could have uh, Pat, God, Patricia from the. Patrice. Patrice McCarran. Yeah. From the Maine Lobstermen's Association, the executive director. I would love to have her back on. Um, I think about the discussion we had with her all the time. I think she was really, she's very intelligent. She's a, really a commander and leader of that union, um, which I find really interesting. And she's effective. And uh, she's really in a tough spot um, leading an organization where there's a there's some pushback from her membership on doing anything to restrict what they're doing and it's very difficult to be at a leadership of that organization you're compelled to take the hard line she probably knows from experience it's got to be something in between but she doesn't have a lot of latitude to pursue it well so i just think it's anyway she'd be great I mean, yeah, to talk definitely. To her, yeah. I would love to gather some uh, perspectives from uh, up there in Maine people. I'm, I'm just, I'm curious. We should probably do a follow-up on that future show, Peter. Yeah. We'll have future opportunities to follow up on that. Let's take a, talk about some of the other shows that we've uh, we've put out here. Uh, let's see. I'll Since I have the list, I will yeah. <laughs> read through these. That's uh, helpful. <clears throat> Let's talk. Okay, this is a good one. This is a good one. I'm glad we're touching on this. This actually deserves some follow up. Uh, our good friend Dan Martin yeah. had Ray Lowenstein mm -hmm. from the Aquatic Development Group on. Right. Very interesting show. Got some interesting feedback. It did indeed. Let's talk about that. Well, it seems. And that show, so if you haven't listened to Dan Martin, he hosts the Next Gen Waterfronts podcast. He's an economic analyst and works on lots of shorefront properties. And, and how to develop them, you know, to be the most uh, profitable. That's what they do. Like, what kind of hotel should we build? What's the, what's the rate? All that. Uh, so he does that. So he, he had on this guy, Paul Lowenstein, from the Aquatic Group, right? Aquatic Development Group. 
they believe in water parks and pools. And so the discussion was that Dan was postulating that coastal communities more and more are going to go to upland water features because people actually don't like the beach that much. You know, you go for a couple of hours, it's too hot, you want something a little easier, you want kids to jump in, it's safe, you don't have to worry about any of this, all of that. So that's their discussion. And that did not sit well with a lot of people who said pools and water parks on the ocean are not better than the ocean. There was that response, which was one of the responses. And and then also that it was it was a discussion about how more development can be done, which is also, for some part of our audience, a problematic discussion to hear. I just thought it was so cool to hear the way Ray uh, talked about these projects. Totally different than the way uh, a lot of the people that we generally talk to about, you know, from the government space or... Right. um, It's just, it's the engineering space, even. The environmental community... Yeah. You know, this is what I love about his show is how do how do the folks who seriously think about what to build along the shoreline to serve the market that we all use, <laughs> you know, when we go right. to the beach. <laughs> there are people who think about, you know, what kind of room rate structure is the best, what kind of amenities, what are, what are what are younger families today looking for when they take their kids to the shoreline? Do they want to be on the 13th floor of a condo? Do they want more bike trails, I mean, uh, different pools, all this stuff. And I just think it's fascinating to listen in uh, in a discussion that I've never really been a part of. So I find it really interesting to know what do they think about. And you're like, oh, man, there's a lot to this shit. Yeah, I mean, as usual. Yeah, I mean, it's (laughs) the ASPN philosophy is, of course, (laughs) that we don't endorse any singular uh, perspective, Ray's included. But it's a really great data point because yeah. Ray, if you, if Ray's the kind of guy that will be on a team that will then go to like an investor or a right. bank and they will get the money to do this stuff. Right. And so that this is hearing him discuss this kind of tells you what like this is what the banks are like going yeah. for. Yeah. This so is what the, yeah. You need these guys who and, thought it through. And that tells you a little bit of something about where we are going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you it know? does. Well, it's it's like, you know, we're interested in the conversation on the American shoreline. I am. And, you know, of course, I have my particular feelings about all of these issues. But what I'm kind of most interested in is uh, what what the conversation is and the quality of the conversation and that the dynamics of the trade offs, because all of these damn issues on the coast are balances between important economic interests or cultural interests, like environmentalists versus, you know, the developer community or something is. Uh, but I really am interested in how it sounds and how hard they're working at it and whether I think they're, you know, the, the conversation is is constructive. You know, that's kind of what I'm interested in. Yeah. So I, I do want to hear both sides of it. Well, and it's, I, I would just much rather be acquainted with, the, the whole space because it's I, I'm genuinely curious to know what's happening in the, across the whole space I re- yeah. really want to know how these guys are looking at it yeah um, and yeah I'm totally comfortable having a follow-up conversation as to what the ramifications of that are and 
uh, what kind of assumptions about yeah. the land use. And I think there it triggers a whole bunch of additional, but it's yeah. real. Yeah. And and these projects are really built and earth really moves. And yeah, uh, I just think it's super valuable to hear it. We don't, I just do yeah. great job, Dan, for, yeah, for doing good. that. I really and thanks that Ray show. for coming on. I really uh, that, show. that was great. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, Richard charter. Yeah. You you dug this show, Peter. Tell me about your. I did. Uh, this uh, is one of Jenna's sea chain pod. This was a little while ago. Jenna Jenna's done her show with Hannah Payne most recently. Oh, okay, so uh, this is like a, uh, two shows back. Two shows back on the Sea Chains podcast, which you if you click on Jenna's name on Coastal News Today, you'll get all her shows. That's right. I keep telling Tyler that we should explain that, but he's like everybody knows that it's a different color. That's obvious in website design. <laughs> And I was like, you know, I think we could tell if they could do that. So, yeah, go for yeah, it. Yeah, anyway, but this guy, Charter, um, was a leading, uh, played a leading role in the offshore oil and gas drilling moratorium off the American coast. So the, the prohibition on the Atlantic seaboard. You can't drill for oil off the Atlantic seaboard or around Florida. That is because of guys like this. And it's also true in California. In federal waters, right? The Gulf is, we're all happy with it. So this guy, though, what I, what I loved about the interview was this is a guy who did this for more, almost 30 years, okay, as an issue. Um, and has seen it all in how to persuade and work in the political process and be persistent as hell for so long to be successful, and he 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 tells what he's learned and, and he basically explains how to do it. And it's I think the reason I liked it is because I'm an older dude, too. And it was like I was cash. I was getting to hear his wisdom. I really saw it as these were hard learned lessons about how to fight an uphill battle against one of the most powerful industries in the United States and make it stick. You know, yeah. So I really like that show, and I I want to send it to my sons, and I want to tell them this is how this is how hard it is. This is how much work it takes to to do things like this. Just so they'll know. I mean, it was just it was fabulous. Jenna is currently putting together like a Scotty Pippen during the mid '90s kind of season. Oh yeah, she's doing a great over job. the past couple. Uh, yeah few weeks she's done a number of recordings we have yet to release several that she's already laid down and uh, i'll tell you right now they're amazing look forward to them yeah peter neal's coming up um he's with the world ocean observatory or something like that. oh yeah i think that's right the ocean observatory the ocean yeah that's right and yeah. Uh, also a great orator speaker uh storyteller and older perspective again someone who's spent that a lifetime uh working on right. that kind of uh advocacy and there's right. a lot to be gained from those perspectives yeah i think so and it's it's lot, the same reason i like joe kunkel you know he's a professor emeritus he's in his mid-70s he's still going out on cruises he has a la he moved his research lab to his basement over COVID so he could keep working on his lobster samples and identification of lobster. This, I love, you know, the dedication and the insight gained by 
the amount of time that these people spend and how seriously they take what they're doing. I just, and just like, tell me what that's like and what you've learned. Cause you've learned a lot. Yeah. yeah. And it's just fun to see how Joe thinks, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's just an interesting guy. Yeah. Uh, and I, I would say that's true with, I really enjoy, I would say that's kind of a universal truth with virtually everybody who either comes on our shows or comes on Jenna's show or any of our shows, really. Yeah. There's, there's a, a real sense that, uh, I just, I'm just interested in how people are sizing yeah. things up. Right. What are you saying? It's like, why would you watch poker on TV? I'll tell you why. Because, <laughs> I hate watching poker. Well, so you're not doing really, it right. What am you're I doing? Really? Right. Okay. What's oh, you, the trick? You, you got to try to right. get between the the players' ears. Really? Like, oh, and try to figure out what are they going through. Try to read thinking? their signs. You're trying what, to read what are them. they called? Your, their tells. I tells. Think, that's right. Trying to figure out their tells. Yeah. I'm not a bit. Look, I do not. I'll be the first to admit that you're never going to see me watching uh, poker for fun. Usually on television, my girlfriend does. Huh. And so I have really, yeah. When I'm at when I'm at a sports bar watching the the Lakers, wow, which is my preferred sports right. to watch, of course. Uh, Selena is mm-hmm. watching no kidding poker. Hmm. And so she's she's, she's me, pretty strategic, and, and she, she taught me. I could see her getting it. into that. So anyway, okay. That's a hot so tip. that well, like anything else, you have to know enough about it to appreciate it. It's the same with modern art or art in general. If you just look at it, you know, that's just like some stuff. I could do that when people say shit like that. It's because they have absolutely no understanding of where that fits and what that meant in the context of the history of expression and what we're trying to deal with and what the issues were. I mean, you know, you have to know a lot. And I don't know enough about poker to appreciate what is a really good thing to do and what's a bad thing to do. I just don't. I don't. I don't play enough yeah. poker. So I if I studied, I probably would dig it because mm-hmm. there's a lot going on there, obviously. I mean, people are making millions of dollars, first of all, so <laughs> something's going on. Yeah. <laughs> there's definitely something going on. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. something to it. Yeah. I believe that. Well, circling this thing back around, I I really do. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Before yeah. we leave, <clears throat> I have I do not watch poker, but you know what I have found myself watching? What's that? EA Sports Football. Really? Yes. Wow. They have this on, you know, this is, they show these games. There's like, you know, there's a, there's a tournament going on right now. On television. Yes. And so it's two guys. So far, it's all been guys <laughs> playing video games, right? And you pick your teams and stuff. But let me tell you, man, it is some serious <laughs> I mean, they're into it. There's, these guys have a track record. There's like, he's the favorite. He's leading the league. And here's an upstart rookie. I mean, they, like they, they knew that much about the players and what was going on in the competition and how, what, their, what their play styles were. You know, like this guy is really always protects deep. He's, so he's hard to go deep on. And this guy plays a different kind of, you know, game. And so it's just like football. It, it, and the coaches are, you know, competing against. There are them. coaches. Well, basically, the guys with the controllers are the coaches. You know, the, the players. <laughs> so get, yeah, that's so you get to hear the whole thinking part of it. Oh wow! On play selection and you know, that's, I don't know. I I I was not expecting to be able to watch it, and I kind of have sought it out a couple of, and it might be because you know I've just 
isolated and I'm losing my mind. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it could that's be interesting. That. Could I, be I watch, uh, I will confess, I did get into some video gaming uh, did you? during this period of time. Um, I, you know, I, I'll just pull back the curtain here for the uh, audience. Uh, this actually, it does relate to some upcoming content we have uh, huh. in store for you guys for our second annual 4th of July. Oh, yeah. Blowout. Yeah, that's going to be good this um, year. We do a, a, I guess it's fair to call it a tradition. Well, yeah. It's our it's our second time. It's it's it's, it's a burgeoning We have tradition. never missed a year. I mean, all the kind of ways you'd say something is a tradition, it's true. It happens to be quite short, but it doesn't mean we have. We have. It's it's a pattern. And we're committed. Yeah. So, so it's a this, tradition. This year, uh, and the tradition is that we do a, a dedicated show on some sort of uh, maritime history, American, you know, it's 4th of July. It's, it, we won, we had to go to war. So we're getting into the Naval. That's right. That's what we're, you know, the, what's the coastal implications of the, the civil, the war for independence, the revolutionary war. That was last year's show. Yeah, that was. And well, this year we're going to have another Naval historian. That's right. Who's an expert in another part of American history. Very so I think we're going War of 1812 era ships, right? Somewhere in that. TBD. Okay. TBD. Right. Uh, but we're have this this so I was playing video games myself. I got into the I downloaded for free this game <laughs> called uh, World of Warships, which is a really, really interesting game. That sounds pretty uh, good. About warships from like Oh, the late 1800s through. So you got the whole sails and the decks no. of guns that level. Mm, it's like industrial era, so it's uh, all propeller driven. Okay, but so World War II were battleship mm, sort of stuff. That would be toward the end of the game, like okay. the final tiers are oh, up wow. at that level. Cool. Um, anyway, uh, this there's hundreds of modeled ships in okay. this game. So I was just I, I started to learn a lot about ship design evolution right and lo and behold i did find a guy on youtube uh who oh, does i see. this stuff and i started watching his stuff and i'm serious guys this he put you were the guy who plays that game is who, no no a guy so you got into picking ships and looking at all the different kinds of naval ships and then found a guy who talks about the dis- design of naval ships is that kind of basically the story yeah so basically i i uncovered this youtube channel called drachenifel i believe is how it's pronounced d-r-a-c-h-i-n-i-f-e-l uh check it out this dude does uh guides to all shit he's an englishman so he does a lot of English ships, but he also does a lot of American and German and, and all these ships. And what's interesting is he t- he's he just knows everything freaking about these ships. I mean, it's crazy. So if you want it. So when you say he does all these ships, he's get, giving you like the design and the gun and the displacement and what it was for and how did it work and correct that kind of stuff. And like what its combat record was is it going to the full story of it. Wow. Really? So, yeah, he kind of breezes through. I mean, he actually has a really interesting. We will learn when he, he this guy's going to come on yeah but we will learn that he has a very unique method he he doesn't cover a lot of the you know was stationed here and then moved to here he unless there's a battle or something interesting and he kind okay. of finds these interesting notes and makes a point of, that's good 
uh, highlighting those. You yeah. don't need the transit log, really. <laughs> you want to know if they like kicked anybody's ass or you know it sank or well, something to like. You want to know what happened? There's just so much to it. I I, okay. I, I, I don't even want um, right. to. But right. anyway, I have that also sounds good. I, I, I'm really looking forward to that. Gaming has uh, you know brought me to this future guest that we're going to have. Who's that? The oh, ship this guy. expert. <laughs> oh, I thought this was another one. Jesus. <laughs> I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I try to uh, just steer the show, safe waters, just well, down I the had, middle of see, the channel. I, that was established already, and so when you started talking about and and I'm all, and gaming brought me to a show, a show, and I was like, it must be another one because we already knew already knew that happened. I'm trying to tie it back into the <laughs> it was the it was the this, this sidebar about watching games. <laughs> I got you. No, I get it. Anyway, we're, we're rambling on Sorry. probably far too long <laughs> in people's lives now. All right. All right. So uh, anyway. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that. And and I think we should mention that we're going to do a Juneteenth show. That's right. Um, and because we do mark these holidays, we do we do Memorial Day show, we do a Labor Day show, we do Fourth of July. So, and for, and, uh, and down here in Texas, I think it's kind of a national event now, but it's a Texas thing. Juneteenth. I would, yeah, it's it's definitely a Texas Southern thing. Yeah, I did not know about Juneteenth until I moved to Austin. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, it, what it represents is in, in 1865, uh, when the Union Army had finally uh, won uh, Texas, uh, a, 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 a Union Admiral sailed into Galveston Bay on June 19th, 1865, and on the dock announced the Emancipation Proclamation that the slaves were free, which, of course, Lincoln had signed two years earlier. So Juneteenth is the celebration of emancipation in in much of the South that did not actually. Let's just pause. Yeah. Right? Let's so just, that's what Juneteenth. Let's is. talk. Juneteenth is possibly one. It's got to be in the running for one of the greatest American holidays. Certainly, I would say the most underrated American holiday. Hmm. Let's think about that. Yeah. It's 1865. Out. This captain comes in and says. By the way, the war's over at this point. He says, "Is it the war's over it was, by the time it gets it there?" Was, okay, but it was, but the the old Confederate governors and so slaves did not know they were free. They were still slaves, um, and so when that happened, uh, the word spread like wildfire. Hmm. And just imagine this is an era of, uh, I guess you had telegraphs. But just the way that Probably it would Probably not for the general public, but... I mean, they, yeah, no. it worked its way across the landscape. By word, you know... By word of mouth and, and horseback and yeah. celebration and yeah. jubilee. Yeah. And it's just... It's an amazing moment. It's about a birth of fucking freedom. Yeah. It's well, awesome. And it's about... The other thing I like about it, and this is a weird way to put it a little bit, but it's, it's about the persistence of the country's effort. You know, I mean, it... It's... it's it just takes time. It's ridiculous that this took time because you know now you know it had they had to they had to win the war to execute it, really. So, um, but it's it these social issues are big and they take many many years to you know we just slowly sort of step forward. Maybe we step back every once in a while too, and you know takes a lot of time, and it means like you said, and it was jubilee. 
I mean, this could you imagine being told that you are, I mean, literally, honestly, no longer a piece of property? What that would feel like? I mean, my God. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's really a incredibly important moment to reflect on i think there's power yeah. just simply in reflecting on that the fact that that actually happened yeah so we're gonna do a juneteenth show which i'm looking forward to we will be it's coming out soon but uh <clears throat> yeah well i know this is an unusual show but um it's a bit of an unusual time i it, you know i'm not a believer in the end times uh but uh, it's a little bit of a different feel in America this you know year, and uh, so we took took a chance to talk about that. Absolutely. Uh, thanks everybody for hanging in there with us. Uh, we got, of course, lots more great coastal content coming your way this week. We have. Let me see. What 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 do we have on deck here, Peter? Real quick, we can look forward to uh, Delta Dispatches. We've got oh. Shorewords, Galen Wozenwax will be uh, on with Leslie Ewing. With Leslie Ewing, sure, uh, yeah, really. We'll, that will be cool. closing it out this Friday with a new episode of Shaped by the Sea, which is a great episode. Brian Uritzitz. Uh, that's correct. So uh, some some good content coming your way this week. Uh, thank you all for uh, listening to the American Shoreline Podcast Network. Yeah, really appreciate your support, y'all, and, and subscribe uh, to Coastal News today. And subscribe to the American Trolling Podcast Network. You know? Good job. Yes. Yeah. Gotta do those things. Yes. Please do. Yep. Thanks. Bye. The beaches they sell to build their hotels. 